Here is the latest Higher Summits forecast brought to you by our friends at the Mount Washington Observatory. Weather above treeline in the White Mountains is often wildly different than at our trailheads. Before you hike, check the Higher Summits forecast at mountwashington.org. Weather observers working at the nonprofit Mount Washington Observatory write this elevation-based forecast every morning and afternoon. Search and rescue teams, avalanche experts, and backcountry guides all rely on the Higher Summits forecast to anticipate weather conditions above treeline. You should too. Go to mountwashington.org or text FORECAST to 603-356-2137. Okay, here's your forecast for Friday, June 2nd and Saturday, June 3rd, 2023. Um, I guess conditions are going to get pretty wild uh, on Friday afternoon with instability leading to heavy rainfall, gusty winds, and lightning, possible hail. Um... Friday night, temperatures will drop rapidly with rain showers continuing through overnight hours. And then Saturday morning, we're looking at summit fog. And then despite the sunshine working in Saturday afternoon, there may be some lingering precipitation with snow transitioning in. Uh, So rapidly dropping temps and wet conditions will allow exposure and hypothermia risks to increase rapidly with the onset of the weekend, if not adequately prepared. Additionally, the chance of freezing temperatures could allow runoff on trails to freeze, creating increasingly icy conditions. So Friday, in the clear under partly sunny skies, trending towards in the clouds with rain showers and a chance of isolated thunderstorms in the afternoon. Mid-50s with winds northwest shifting north at 15 to 30 miles an hour with gusts up to 45. Friday night, chance of rain and isolated thunderstorms, lower 40s. Winds north shifting northeast at 15 to 30 miles an hour, increasing to 25 to 40 miles an hour with gusts up to 65 miles an hour. And the wind chill drops into 25 to 35 above. Saturday in the clouds with rain trending towards in and out of the clouds under partly sunny skies. High in the upper 30s, northeast winds at 25 to 40 miles an hour decreasing to 20 to 35 miles an hour and the wind chill then will be 20 to 30 above all right guys be safe out there all things related to hiking and search and rescue in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Here are your hosts, Mike and Stump.
episode 108, I have to start the show off by showing you I got something. What's that? Do you have one of these? Uh, 4,000 footer club of the White Mountains, Appalachian Trail Mountain Club. What What is it though? Is it just sort of like a it's, Tolkien type of map or? Yeah, yeah. It's like the, it's the map of the 4,000 footers and it's signed by the um, 4,000 footer club of the White Mountains committee. So very fancy. I didn't get to go to the ceremony. So I'm assuming this is what they give you when you go to the ceremony. Um, so they just mailed mine because I was in Florida. And what list was this for? The 4,000 footer list. Oh, the, the regular the 4Ks. One. Okay, gotcha. Yep. From yep. from quite a while ago, like last year. Yeah, I finished it, but I didn't put my application in until later, so gotcha. just catching up. Yeah, congrats. I've got one of those laying around here somewhere. I'll have to dig it up. I have my, uh, behind me, I have a little frame with the two AMC patches that they gave uh, Mrs. Stomp and I. So, Cool. Yeah, yeah. So I'm building my I, I'm building my resume. <laughs> right. <laughs> I will say it is kind of fun. Like I went on to, I went on to one of the four. There's two four thousand footer Facebook pages. Yeah. And one I like, and one I don't like. And I'm sorry, I apologize to the admins. Like the one where Eric and Mike Cherum and um, that that one I like. The other one I don't like so much because it seems like they're not like. They don't have any level of, they don't allow any level of nonsense. So I don't like that. But, um, I, it is fun going on that one and seeing like people that are just starting their 4,000 footer list and they're asking all kinds <laughs> of cool questions and they're so proud of themselves and it's awesome. I'm like right. hitting like, I'm doing loves. And like, there was a lady that carried her three-year-old up the mountain and I was like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to hit love on that one. So. <laughs> She bred in the love. I'm like a new man with social media. I used to be such a bitter little <laughs> jerk face, but now I'm like, oh, the last two, three years, I'm like, I, I'm, I'm changed. That's good. Yeah, there's yes. some positive left out there. Yeah, I think COVID, COVID changed me, Stomp. <laughs> oh, boy. So anyway, but yeah, so I got my resume. I got... Um, we got the, the plaque. I got to hang it up. Mrs. Mike went and got a a thingy for it, a, a holder thing. What yeah. are those called? A frame. Yes, a frame. A frame. <laughs> she got a holder thing. Frame, so. <laughs> anyway, you want to do the uh, the show intro? Or you got anything else you want to get to before well, we get to the intro? Let's just deep dive it. Okay, in. so we got no guests tonight and we got no guests. We got guests coming up, but we're, uh, we're working on it. So, but, uh, welcome to episode 108 of the sounds like a search and rescue podcast. Tonight, we play catch up on a few weeks worth of notable hikes. Every week, listeners can tag slasher in their Instagram post in order to be considered for slasher's notable hike of the week. Um, we fell a bit behind over the past few weeks. So we thought that we would try something new. We're going to take the listeners all over the White Mountains on a deep dive of each of the notable tags submitted. Um, so this list will cover an extraordinary broad palette of hiking adventures and give us a glimpse into the crushing peaks world of our awesome listeners. In addition to the deep dives on the notable hikes, we're going to talk about river floating, which is one of Stomp's um, uh, pieces of expertise in the White Mountains. We're going to talk about summer hiking events. There's a lot going on in the next few months. There's controversy in Tamworth over Reach the Beach Relay. 
Um, there's a new FKT stomp for the presidential traverse. I bet you didn't know that oh, one. I had no idea. That's super uh, cool. Taylor Swift. We're going to talk Taylor Swift. We're going to talk about Alton Weagle Day on uh, Mount Washington. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell. I'm going to give everyone an update on Tuckerman Ravine. I'm going to give people an update on Lion's Head. We're going to go to Redstone Quarry, and then we're going to cover some recent search and rescue news. So, mm-hmm. uh, settle down. Relax. This is going to be a show where you're going to get some good ideas on where you can go hiking this summer. So I'm Mike. And I'm Stomp. Let's get started. Let's get started. So Stomp, big question I want to start off with here is um, it's 90 degrees out today. So I got to get in. I was actually swimming last weekend in the pond. It was great, um, well, but uh, are we ready north? to float yet? Yeah, I was I was up in Maine, I was swimming, but hmm. are, can we float yet or what? What's going on? Oh, almost, almost. I, I utilized a site um, that looks at the temperature at Lake Winnipesaukee, and I think we're hovering around 55 degrees, 55.4 degrees Fahrenheit at the moment. Um, the max for June is generally like a 60 degree range, men 49, mm-hmm. but right now they're recommending... Uh, you know, if you're not a seasoned swimmer, you might want to wear a wetsuit. <laughs> so that, there's your indication right there. Yeah I, yeah, I generally wait till it's about 60 degrees before I'm hitting like the PEMI for floating and things like that. So we're almost there. This almost. weekend might set us back a bit though with the rain coming. Yeah. Is it rain? I, I looked at Lincoln and it was only going to be raining on Friday and Saturday and Sunday looked okay. I think it's tailing off Saturday morning. Okay. Um, but we're getting a good inch or so over Friday to Saturday. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, but you got 87 today and then it's going to be 81 tomorrow. So, yeah, but then it's going to go down to 62. So, that oh, wow. It's actually cold like the rest of the next week for it, the next seven days. Which is a good thing for running. You know, it's like yes. the last few days I've just been sitting at home going, oh, man, I'm losing ground. But we'll get back. You got you to run early. Do you run, when do you run, actually? I, I can't do early. That's, that's too tough. Um, I usually do afternoons. Which is fine. You know, it takes a little mental fortitude to muster the energy to do it, but it works out pretty well for me. I feel more yeah. warmed up. I feel as though I'm more prone to injury if I just cold turkey it in the morning. Uh, I, by the way, I am an older man. I'm 54. How old are you now? I'm 51. Oh, see, I get years on you. <laughs> yeah, I just like, I mean, people who exercise in the afternoon are like a different, like, that's just a different weird breed. I'm not that person. Like, I, I got to get up and I'm going. Like, it's not. It's a different psychology. Afternoon exercise. I used to do like race. I did like the Yankee homecoming race in Newburyport. Like it was a night race. It started at six o'clock and I never felt good in that. I hate running at night. Interesting. Late in the afternoon. Well, the other thing too with afternoon is after you finish your day of work or whatever you're doing, it, it really is difficult to just bite the bullet and convince yourself to go do some athletic activity where you're going to be sweaty and uncomfortable for a while. That's my True. take on it anyway. So sometimes True. it can be a challenge to motivate. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well then, so the river's in the mid fifties. I can tell you that the lake that we were in, uh, you know, so Quackett Pond in Brownfield, um, that was like 66 on the dock. So we have like a little floaty dock that we put out there. So it wasn't too bad. And like, it got to be, it was one of those things where the lake was, you could tell the water was a lot colder under the surface, but the first foot or two was kind of, you know, a different temperature than the, the lower sections of the pond. So it's like, getting to be, you know, warmer, deeper down, but it was, it was still pretty cold. Yeah. That's really comfy though. I mean, I think the, the max that Winnipesaukee gets is maybe 64 in in that range. 
So yeah, um, we're close. Yeah. So we'll see. Um, yeah. I feel like Winnipesaukee, like I know I've swam um, in Alton Bay in the, oh, no, is it Walton Bay? I can't remember where my, my cousin's uh, place is, but like they have a place that's like, it's in an inlet area and the <clears> water is <throat> definitely warmer than 64. It gets up to like 75, 80 degrees when we were there. Interesting. Yeah. Alton, yeah. Alton Bay is where Mount Major is and the, that is fairly narrow, a little waterway. Yeah. They're in, um, where's the, where's the biker, the bike event there? What's Laconia. that called? Laconia. Laconia. Yeah, they're in Laconia in that yeah. area there. So. Pogus Bay. Yeah, I think that's where they are. So, but yeah, yeah. it definitely stays warmer there. But, but anyway, so floating can happen maybe in the next uh, week or two or something like I that. I would think so. so. Yeah, we, okay. we're anxious to go. It's always a nice time. Yep. Yep. Well, let me know when you go. I can't make any promises, but I'd love to join you guys again. Absolutely. All right. So now that Memorial Day has passed, Stomp, we want to give the listeners a reminder of all the events and activities that are happening related to um, the fundraising hikes that we're, you know, some of them are sponsors and then some of them are um, people we're partnering with. And then uh, some of the races that are are happening over the summer months here. So do you want to want to give a rundown on everything? Yeah, let's do that. So this weekend is the next White Mountain Endurance Race, and um, they do have some news that came through this week. They are now part of the, do you know how to pronounce this, Avarape? Is that the I do not. race team that is has basically taken over their operation? But the White Mountain Endurance crew will remain the managers for the race here in New England. I apologize if I butcher that name. Um, I'm just doing this off the top of my head, but it's super cool. They're, they're trying to establish a team of runners um, that will be part of their national team. So it's really exciting time for Christina and Rem. And uh, so, yes, this is the second race of the uh, series and it's June 3rd, Chikora Mountain Race. Um, race the Cog is June 24th. Uh, the Jig Johnson Ultras are August 18th through 20th. And then finishing up the series will be Kilkenny Ridge Race, uh, September 16th. Uh, the Mount Washington Road Race, June 17th. Uh, we may some see some listeners there. I've, we've been getting a couple messages in the background. Yeah, you should take the um, the, the banner there. We can set it up. Yeah, absolutely. Um Let's see, Seek the Peak for the Mount Washington Observatory. That's their big fundraiser. That's July 15th. Um, I think Mrs. Stump and I might actually go to that. We've been chatting about it. And then backing up a little bit here, we have Emily's Hike. That is the fundraiser between Hiking Buddies and the Emily's Sotelo Foundation. That will be July 29th. Uh, You can go find out more about that at hikingbuddies.org. And then... The Alzheimer's Association has their 48 Peaks event on June 10th at Reckless at the Pint House. So we will see everybody there. I'm spinning some music for them, uh, I believe, starting at about three. So that's it, more or less it. I I think there are other things happening, but uh, those are the big charity and uh, race events coming up. Got it. So a lot of races and then the big three, Alzheimer's starting on June 10th, Mm -hmm. uh, Seek the Peak on July 15th, and then Emily's Hike on July 29th. So a lot going on. Yeah. Good summer. Yeah. Well, speaking of races, Stomp, I caught some controversy in Tamworth about Reach the Beach Relay. So you've never done Reach the Beach. I've done Reach the Beach probably about, I don't know, eight or nine times at this point. Okay. No, I have not. 
Yeah. The so idea terrifies about, me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we've talked about this. It's it's a relay race. So you mm-hmm. have a 12-person team. You usually get like two vans, and then um, you start from Brenton Woods, make your way down 302, cut across West Side Road, and then into Center Conway, through Madison, into Tamworth, into the Lakes region, and eventually make your way down through Bear Brook State Park, and then into the uh, Hampton uh, seacoast region. So I think it's about 200 miles or so. And what happens is, is you, you have a team, each team member will run anywhere from like three to seven mile legs. And then you pass it off to uh, the next runner. One van will go with six runners and then the other van will go sort of ahead and wait for the other van to get to where uh, they're going to hand off. And then you just sort of, you have a little bit of a break during the night and then you start up again. So it's a whole fun thing. It's a traveling circus. Um, over the years, there's been issues with certain towns having concerns about traffic because typically you're going through each town for about four hours in the afternoon or nighttime. Um, it's beneficial to the towns because a lot of the like Cub Scout groups and, and different groups can do fundraisers by selling food to the runners. Um, Reach the Beach was was run by a separate group for many years. They essentially they eventually sold out to Ragnar. Ragnar, I think, has gotten bigger and bigger over the years. So what's happened now is that Tamworth, which was Madison and Tamworth were always difficult and that we were always told to sort of, you know, stay in the van, don't get out of the van, make your way through as quickly as you can because the town folks really don't appreciate all the traffic. And I get it, it gets busy, but now what's happened is that Reach the Beach has come in front of the Board of Selectmen in Tamworth and they voted three to nothing to deny a permit to allow Reach the Beach to come through the town. Oh, really? Yeah, so it kind of stinks. And I think there's a couple things going on here from what I can tell from the article. One is, I think on the Reach the Beach side and the Ragnar side, it sounds like last year um, they did not put up some of the safety um, signs and they didn't put up some of the lighting that they were supposed to put up. Typically, when you get through Tamworth, you're usually like late in the day. So Tamworth is usually one of those spots where it's like the last teams are coming through as things get dark. So it's a bad time. It's like three o'clock till about eight o'clock in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people are like trying to get home and do whatever. So I think that there was a miss last year by the, the crew that's supposed to set everything up logistically on the race. They didn't do everything they committed to do. And then at the same time, it sounds like one of the selectmen like got stuck in traffic. There was a few other citizens that complained, and uh, it was enough for the Tamworth Board of Selectmen to vote no. So they're not going to allow them to go through the town. Shame. Shame. Wow. Shame. Yeah. Amazing. So Shame. it's interesting, man. I mean, I'm, I'm of two minds of it. Like the other thing is they're saying like, you know, the, the, the race has changed. Like the people have become more entitled and all this stuff. Like, I don't really know. I don't see it that way. I think that it's, it's been sort of the same vibe since I've ever done the race, but I think that there is a, there is an inherent bias. I mean, we all know people that like, they complain about cyclists on the road. They complain about, um, you know, anything that disrupts their, their traffic situation. Like they don't like tourists coming up in the summertime and all this stuff. So sure. I think there's a little bit of that sort of like, makes sense that, that vibe going on. But um, I don't know what Reach the Beach is going to do. They're going to have to rewrote the, rewrote the, uh, the course, I guess. Yeah, I would assume so. I mean, it's so silly. Just it's what, how many days? One day. If yeah, that. it's one day. It's, it's like basically four hours or yeah. so. Um, it's not much of an ask. No, 
No, not at all. But wow. it's like these these small towns. I mean, they get these people on the board of select. I mean, we see what's happening in Conway, where they're they're going after like this small donut shop, right? The giving art. them a hard time. So it's like a lot of times the people that join these board of selectmen. I know in Brownfield, in Freiburg, like there's a lot of shenanigans that go on with the the, the work that they've done in in you know, with, with Nestle and the water situation up there. So who knows? I don't know. I don't know what goes on in these small town politics, but I think that it's just difficult. Like you've got to kiss the ring for certain people or they've got a lot of power to just sort of make your life miserable. Right. Well, yeah, you can always vote them out too. You can't vote them out. So that is, that's what you can do. Yep. See, but uh, I got a feeling that there's probably more locals that want to have an easy drive on a Friday afternoon versus, you know, people that are going to say like, I want to support like the, all the mass holes coming up here and screwing up traffic. So, (laughs) oh boy, that's too much. Yes. Crazy. Um, All right. So next topic here, Stump, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about hikes that you should think about doing, but you pulled an article uh, that came through drivingandviving.com, <laughs> which is definitely a clickbait article. I can tell it's already. It's total clickbait, but it came yeah. from a listener actually. So this is from Driving and Vibing and they are a newsletter for, uh, it's apparently the favorite of over 100,000 campers and RVers. So there's your target audience, okay? And uh, the five reasons you should avoid the White Mountains is the title of this article. And um, you know, if you're a hiker, there's a few things in here that would make sense, you know, just in terms of training, planning your trip, be in shape, that type of thing. But right off the bat, the article starts with, you know, the White Mountains can be dangerous. You can disappear and die pretty much. Essentially, that's that's my summary of the article. Um, now, they do list five reasons why you should avoid the whites and let's check them out so number one is rugged white mountain trails remember this is for the rv population so it's a weird it's sort of a weird article uh accurate yeah white mountain trails accurate rugged yeah i would think so um they they actually go up in zigzag patterns can you believe it it's amazing they call them uh they're downright ornery (laughs) yeah downright ornery that's right do you remember the lady who wrote the um, the the not joking letter to the editor about? Um, I think she was hiking Webster or Jackson or something, and she was basically like, you know, you people should be ashamed of yourselves, like that you haven't fixed these trails and that they're so dangerous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. She's from Mississippi or somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Check this. This is number two is remoteness of the White Mountains. And this paragraph is assuming that you're going to hike the entire span of the White Mountains. Because in paragraph two here, it says hiking alone is incredibly dangerous. Your best bet is to go in groups in case you need to find help. This could take over 72 hours. Like, I don't understand what they're trying to say here. Yeah. Um, so anyway, remoteness. Yeah, I know of no case where someone's waited 72 hours for a rescue team. Um, yeah. See, the last sentence, it says, estimate the time it'll take you to get from point A to, to B, then double it. Well, huh. then that's not an estimate. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, number three, White Mountains weather. Uh, okay. It's all right. Yeah, fatalities yeah. happen. They, they talk yeah. about the fatalities in cold weather, hypothermia, frostbite, uh, no matter the season. So that's a good one. 
and this one kills me. Uh, they mentioned beers. Uh, and they basically say, hey, listen, beers are, this is their home. It's not your home. It's their backyard. Although the attacks are rare, they do happen. Um, so they give you tips on how to avoid provoking a bear, you know, wave your arms, walk back slowly and never feed bears, that type of thing. So number four is bears. Um, Rawr. That's a, I think that's more of a clickbait item, to be honest yep. with you. Uh, well, did I, you hear my, did you hear my beer roar? Yeah, I did. <laughs> Is that what a beer sounds like? I don't know what a beer sounds like. If I heard that, I'd be terrified. <laughs> roar, give me food, you stomp. <laughs> and then of course, number five, be in shape to hike the White Mountains. I mean, they can't argue with that. And they recommend if yep. you're new to hiking, um, stick with a thousand feet or less, uh, start with short day hikes. Makes sense. They talk about the, um, you know, Mount Washington summer being uh, as high as the Empire State Building, uh, three times the the height of that. So, is that correct? Wait, climbing the Empire State stairs three times. Wow, that's an interesting statistic. Hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, just don't do that first if you're a newbie, essentially. Um, and, and that's about it. But it's a funny article and. Um, I do not recall who sent that in, but thank you. We appreciate when people send us stuff. Some of them are pretty funny. Yeah. As that article says, do not hike the White Mountains, period. (laughs) Right. Me and Stomp need them to ourselves (laughs) the entire summer, so stay away. (laughs) Five reasons from driving and vibing. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Um, All right, Stomp. So you pulled this next one. So I feel like, didn't we cover this case already? This is... Didn't ring a bell. It's a mountain biker. All right, maybe this is a different one. So this is Bellingham hiker pleads guilty to stabbing a mountain biker. Crazy. In the right of way. I feel like we've covered this one before, but maybe we didn't. So this guy's 72 years old, a hiker. So he's a grumpy, you know, if you're, if you're 72 years old and you get into the point where you get so mad that you got to stab someone like you're, you got, yeah, you got some deep seated anger issues. You know what I think this is? I think in April, the 72 year old pleaded guilty, but let's just go over it again because it is pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it's a right of way dispute. So this happened in March, 2021. Um, rights. yeah, yeah. It's a civil case. So a civil case has just begun. Um, but it looks like the actual, the guy that stabbed the mountain biker is 72 years old. He pled guilty in April in superior court to third degree assault and a felony. So he was sentenced the same day to 30 days in jail with the option to serve the time through electronic home monitoring. Mm -hmm. Um, so I guess he went into the home monitoring program on May 2nd and will complete his sentence by, Yesterday, so May 31st. May 31st, yeah. Uh, he pled down from first degree assault with a deadly weapon and a felony in possession of a deadly weapon. So mm-hmm. he was put a no contact order in place uh, between him and the victim. So the victim is a 68 year old mountain biker. So this is two du- old dudes <laughs> just like raging at each other. So crazy. Um, yeah, I guess the the DA, um, the prosecuting attorney said it was clear that the party saw the case and potential outcomes quite differently. The hiker who stabbed him has maintained that he acted in self-defense. The prosecution felt comfortable that, um, or confident that they would be able to attack that. Um, <clears throat> but I guess the parties went back and forth for two years to finally come to a resolution. And as things got closer to a trial, I think the reality of what a conviction on the original charge meant 
um, started to set in for a 72-year-old dude. He could be in prison the rest of his life. So I think that they basically just just settled it. Um, mm-hmm. I guess the the 68-year-old victim said he got stabbed six times. And, um, you know, one of the last times he was stabbed, well, the two men struggled. The knife grazed his bone and severed muscles and one of the three main nerves on his arm. He said without stimulation, the muscles in his hand have started to degenerate. So he's had two surgeries and doctors have concluded that there's nothing much they can do. He's got a dormant left hand that'll never be the same. So no full recovery for this dude. Yeah. Um, And then there's some dispute over who was the aggressor. So yeah, exactly. Self-defense. The 72 year old hiker is listed as the aggressor, but he says that the, the, the cyclist should have yielded to him. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Well, there you go. So it's on to civil, civil court. Yeah. It's unfortunate. It seems like it's totally avoidable. It seems ridiculous. Yeah. I don't know. Old, old dudes better learn their lesson and calm down. (laughs) Calm down. Just say hi, step aside. It's no big deal. (laughs) Exactly. Um, all right, so next up, um, one of the listeners, Stacy Tardiff. Hello, Stacy. Hey, uh, we appreciate you, uh, all your support over the, the years. She sent in an article about um, how we talked about a record-breaking Sherpa who who had hiked, I think, 28 times Mount Everest. Is that right, Stone? Correct. Yeah, he is the record. Yeah, so um, Stacy sent in a an article that like totally like makes, you know, we were all proud of the guy and now we're totally bummed out. So thanks, Stacey. Um, <laughs> well, it's just recently I was posting those pictures of uh, the, the long lines and the trash and it's such a, a degrading culture out there, it seems. And then you have this interview from this fella who's saying that there's no uh, future in his opinion for Sherpa lifestyle. You know, um, it's not, Sherpa is, um, is it an ethnicity if I remember correctly, it's not, it's not a, an occupation. It's more like a, either an ethnicity or a customer religious belief. It's one of those things. I'm apologize if I don't know. Yeah, that exactly. it's it's an ethnic group living in the Everest region, and they've always been the backbone of mountain expeditions. So they fix ropes, ladders, carry loads. So it's like interchangeable, but essentially they're an ethnic group. But they're also, you know, it's become like nomenclature for anybody that sort of helps out with uh, big big mountain uh, mountaineering expeditions yeah so his his take on it is that there is no real future for sherpas there's no insurance they're not getting paid enough uh so it's a pretty interesting article so he's saying that the younger generation they're just leaving for western opportunities doing similar things mountaineering uh so it's interesting yeah, it's sad to see that yeah, it is sad that there's not like a um, a career in that. But he talks about how he's at least made enough money to send his, he's got one kid that's like in information technology and another one that's studying like hospitality and he's able to move out of his small village and move to a bigger, bigger city where there's more opportunity for the family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tough one. It's a risky, risky adventure. I mean, what it talks about three Sherpas died last month in uh, Kumbu. Yeah, uh, yeah. So that's the whole other side of it. So anyway, we don't want to be down and depressing. So yeah, no, it's, it was, I'm giving Stacey a hard time, but it's, it's a good, uh, it's a really interesting story. So the, and the other thing that stands out here is that they make between 2,500 and $16,000 depending on experience during a single expedition. So I'm assuming that, I'm assuming that you tip the Sherpers after 
your expedition. I, I don't know how that works or if it's all just rolled into the, the fee. That's a really good question. Yeah. I would think so. I would hope so. I would hope so too. Yeah. So, all right. So next up stomp, we've got a, um, a new FKT that I picked up here. I was doing a little research on the FKT, the fastest known time. Yeah. And, um, there is a new fastest known time in the category of mixed gender team hmm. um, going southbound on the presidential traverse. So I thought this was interesting. So okay. the, and this is an, uh, a supported hike. So I, don't, I can't remember what that all means, but it's a supported hike. Um, so the unsupported fastest known time is held by Jack Coonsley, mm-hmm. which is three hours, 38 minutes and 44 seconds. And this was in 2021. That's southbound. And then Lindsay Webster has a four and a half, a four hours, 33 minutes, 39 seconds. Also from 2021. That's and, yeah. And then there's this mixed gender team, which is Paul Andron, Sasha Carlisle, Cole Chuburk, Spencer McGowan and Laurent Lacordier, and they completed this on um, May 27th, so this weekend, mm-hmm. in 14 hours, 14 minutes, and five seconds, southbound. So wow. interesting. Yeah. yeah, so interesting. I didn't even know this was a category, so Me neither. They, must have, they must have put in for this as a new category, and um, I feel like, you know, it's a good time. It's certainly impressive time. But I do feel like if somebody's looking to do a mixed gender team, I don't know the rules on this one. I don't know if you have to have, like right now they have one, two, three, four, five people. I don't know if you can do a mixed gender team with just two people, but I feel like this one could be, you know, achievable for somebody. Oh, sure. I would think so. Yeah. 14 hours. I mean, it's a great time. No knock on it at all, but I think that like you could probably get a team together if you're a listener and, um. And go for it. I would think so. That's a good idea. I'm going to leave that up to you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We'll see if I can recruit my... My sister-in-law is trying to get me to do the Kilkenny Ridge uh, race. Okay. But um, but I'm not going to be in Yosemite, so maybe I'll tell her, like, let's go for this one. Mm. Team McLaughlin. We can do the supported mixed gender team. Yeah. So divide that out. So what is it? 30, 30 miles? 31 miles? Divided by the hours, and that'll give you your your speed. Um, yeah. I'd be curious to see how fast they were moving. Yeah, yeah. Knowing me, I would screw up the um, the route here. I know you got to go over Mount Clay. You got to go over so, all the summits for that to count. Yeah, like please make sure to summit Madison, Adams, Jefferson, Clay, Washington, Monroe, Eisenhower, and Pierce. You're correct. Um, and then I guess you can, you don't have to summit Franklin. Almost everyone stays on the Crawford path. So, mm-hmm. right, right. Yeah, we'll see. Hey, so one thing I noticed is our friend Christina from White Mountain Endurance, she used to hold the FKT for uh, the women's unsupported southbound. Mm-hmm. So she had it in uh, 2014. So that's good. But it's gone down about an hour in the last, from 2014 through. 2021 has gone down about an hour on the female side. Wow. Incredible. And then um, from 2013 to 2021, it's gone down about an hour on the men's side as well. Isn't that amazing? It's getting yeah. faster and faster. Yeah, it's crazy. 
Hey, what's that sound? It must be time for the pop culture segment with Mike and Stomp. All right, Stomp. So next up, we've got some pop culture talk. So you want to talk about House of Dragons? Well, this is just a little side documentary that I ran across over the long weekend. And for the Lord of uh, Lord of the Rings, sorry, that's a that's a slip. <laughs> the House of Dragons. Uh, it's called the House of Dragons, the house that dragons built. And uh, it's not the post show reviews or anything like that, but they're just standalone documentaries that cover more or less each episode, but they're just strictly from behind the scenes. So it was really, really, really fascinating. Highly recommended. It's just incredible what they do to pull off what you see in the final product. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I'll check that out. I'm, I'm interested. Yeah. Um, and then, so you have an article here about Taylor Swift. So Taylor Swift came to Gillette. That was huge. <laughs> this is the weirdest thing ever. Yeah, apparently fans are experiencing post-concert amnesia. Isn't that great? You pay thousands of dollars and you don't remember the tour at all. <laughs> oh my goodness. Apparently it's a, a syndrome. Uh, multiple fans are experiencing signs of amnesia after attending the concert. And... Uh, People are saying that post-concert amnesia is real. What's your take on this? I don't, I've never experienced anything like that. That sounds very strange to me. Maybe sense, sensory overload. I I don't want the Swifties to come for me. Uh, yeah. But, but I will say that in my opinion, there's a certain type of Swifty fan that may be um, highly dramatic uh-huh. and prone to, you know, making claims that are sort of highly dramatic. Oh, so, maybe, maybe. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think they're, you know, like they, they just want sort of the, the attention of the, the Swifty thing to keep going. So they come up with this nonsense about amnesia and, um, or I don't know, maybe they were drinking too much. Do people drink at, at the Taylor Swift concert? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm sure there's a percentage of a minority percentage, perhaps. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, in fact, I do remember I went and got a margarita when I went to I went to the Speak Now tour in 2011. Uh, so, yeah. um, maybe I think it's 2011. So I did get a margarita on that one. There you go. <laughs> Hanging out with all the all the older parents <laughs> at the bar. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have my kids were young, but like we were on the floor seats, and it was uh, it was a pretty good concert. I, I, I remember. I remember it. So I don't have Taylor Swift amnesia. Huh crazy yeah th- this article's weird it does go into the biology behind this this supposed phenomenon so i'll leave that to the listeners but they're getting into the whole amygdala thing and stress hormones and you name it i'll put i'll put it in the show notes people can write in if you've got if you experienced taylor swift amnesia right well in. i just i think it's great for parents now that you know if this comes around again and your child wants to see taylor or somebody else for thousands of dollars you can say just tell them they went yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, you already saw it. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Oh my God. Uh, so that's Thanks, it for man. pop culture. Pretty quiet weekend. Base Lake Coasters is up first. They create unique, beautiful, functional, and expertly laser engraved coasters with topographic maps of the 4,000 footers of New Hampshire and more. These coasters are handmade on Cape Cod from slate, quarried in the United States, and provide a durable and heat-resistant surface for your drinks. Each coaster features intricate detailing of any mountain topography for the location of your choice. 
Bayes Lake Coasters will work with you on your custom hand-designed coasters for any street or topographic map. Let's just say anywhere on earth or beyond. Visit Baselate.com today to explore a full range of topographic map coasters. Use the code SLASHER10 at checkout for 10% off of your first order. And then we also have a word from Vauclus Gear. Want ventilation and less sweat on your back when backpacking? Check out Vauclus Backpack Ventilation Gear. Back sweat sucks in all types of weather and hikes. It's uncomfortable and a risk factor causing your core temperature to fluctuate if it doesn't evaporate off your back. Vaucluse's Ultralight Ventilation Backpack Frame is an accessory that installs in your favorite pack 18 liters up to 55 liters, creating a ventilating airflow gap between you and your pack. They are releasing their Generation 2 frame now. It only weighs 4 ounces and handles the heaviest pack loads. So whether you're in hot or cold temps or have a pack with a curved frame, the Ultralight Ventilation Backpack Frame is a real game changer for ventilation and airflow. So visit VaucluseGear.com to order a ventilation frame today. Vaucluse is a fan and sponsor of this product. Of this product, okay, of this podcast. I'm going to be editing the hell out of this. Use promo code SLASHER for a $10 discount. All right, stickers and then clings. What's going on with the cling order? We got that. Are we almost ready? I have not received word. They they said about a week ago that they would be done and would be shipped. I have not heard an update, unfortunately. We'll get, we'll get those clings out shortly. Yeah. And um, you can get free stickers at Ski Fanatics and then also Spinner's Pizza in, yeah. in Andover or North Andover. It's Andover. Andover. Yeah, right off of uh, Dascom Road exit off of 93 South. So how to Dolls and Pops. And Ski Fanatics, is they're great. I mean, they have a whole bunch of stickers over there, but... Uh, they're right off of exit 23 on 93 North in Campton. And if anybody's interested, uh, you can always look into advertising options with the podcast. Just drop us a uh, an instant message on Instagram or Facebook or email at us, us at slasherpodcast.com or at gmail.com. I think I might just go take a nap. Can you finish this for me? Wake up, Stomp. Wake up. Hey, speaking of stickers, I'm I'm running into a, I'm in an argument with Mrs. Mike. She won't let I got a new car. It's not a new car. It's a it's a pre-owned car, but it's a new to me car. And yeah. I want to put a stick, I want to put a slasher sticker on it, and she just she won't allow me. Oh wow. Not even on the glass? She's like, it looks stupid. And I'm like, how dare you? <laughs> I'm not getting in the middle of this one. I'm I'm just putting it on there. I'm not gonna. I'm not, it's my car, right? <laughs> yeah, if it's your car, that that carries weight. Um, yeah, uh, I would uh, say it's a yay on the glass, but nay anywhere else. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see. I'll let you know. How okay. It goes, but, uh, yeah, I ended up giving my daughter my car. So the whole car thing, you know, I had a couple of people reach out to me about like buying cars, and I appreciate it. But ultimately, like I ended up giving my car to my daughter and I bought myself a newer car. Oh, great. So, yeah. So. Is it a, uh, what kind is it? Like an SUV or? It's a Subaru. So my wife's like, yeah, we get it, Mike. You you hike. You don't have to buy a car that tells everyone you hike too. <laughs> oh, that cling's going to look good on those windows. Oh, yeah. I can't wait to get those windows smashed. <laughs> oh, boy. Smash your podcast. <laughs> yep. So anyway, uh, but what have you been up to as far as hiking goes, Stomp? 
Oh boy. Well, you know the story. It's just mostly running at this point, but uh, Mrs. Stump and I did get out on Welsh Dickey uh, over the long weekend and it was really neat. Um, I told her, let's just wait till the afternoon. She had her reservations because it was the weekend and it was probably going to be busy, but uh, we, I think we kicked off like around one-ish or so and mm-hmm. the lot was, uh, I don't know, maybe 10 cars. Not too bad for the start of the long weekend. And we had... Um, uh, lunch and some beers at the top of Dickey on the northern ledges of Dickey. Um, it was super, super cool. I uh, got into some deep conversations up there. Um, she's thinking about uploading my uh, my voice and likeness and uh, memory up to the cloud when I pass. Uh, isn't that cool? So she can talk to me all the time. Well, I think about that with AI is especially like we get this podcast, so we have a huge library of audio for from ourselves. So I know, well, that's what she said. She's like, I've got all the podcasts. Exactly. Like you could just like basically upload all that audio and then put it in a large language model. And then, you know, you could set your Absolutely. AI assistant or whatever it is to be your loved one's voice and then interact with them. Because I can tell you like years ago, my that's mom neat. gave me like we had them on VCR tape and then she put them on disc and then I uploaded them into the cloud. Yeah. But like listening to my grandparents talk from like Christmas Eve videos and stuff that we had, uh-huh. it was like jarring after not hearing them speak for like 10 or 15 years to hear them talk again. That's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. I actually heard a podcast today that was talking about if you can do this, then why can't you modify it so that you get rid of the annoying portions of a person's personality. <laughs> so it's like a custom version of your spouse or whoever yeah, without the yeah. bad parts. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But I do wonder, like, you know, do you, what's it, what would be the point of that? You know, you want the, the true the self. Yeah. It's great. So yeah, that's our hike more or less. It was just awesome. Then we came down and played this new game where we were trying to guess how many cars were going to cars were going to be in the trailhead lot. And um I guessed six six initially. Mrs. Stomp guessed eight and then Durat changed her mind and changed to six and she won because there was like eight cars at the at the trailhead. It was pretty cool. Neat game. That's good. That's good. That's better than her talking about how you're dying. I double check, make sure she didn't take out a life insurance policy on you. I know, right? Right. Oh, so, goodness. How about you? Sticky's great. I, um, yeah, I was on the move. I did, um, all, I did Mount Washington on Saturday. So I got up at 4.30 in the morning or 4 in the morning from Maine, mm-hmm. drove over. I got to Pinkham Notch parking lot at 5.30. So Pinkham Notch parking lot is on Route 16 um, on the, what the, the, the west side of Mount Washington or the southern side. And I went from Pinkham Notch. I saw one other guy, a trail runner, heading up Tuckerman. And then I actually beered to the right and I went Old Jackson, which Old Jackson is a section of trail that goes from Pinkham Notch to the auto road, about mm-hmm. 1.8 miles up on the auto road. Yeah. So I ran... I had I, I went pretty light, but I still carried my twenty five liter fast pack because mm-hmm. I had some warm clothes that I, I needed, and um, I ran up Old Jackson. Then I did from mile one point eight on the auto road up to about mile five and a half, mm-hmm. and then I was kind of like that's that's it for me for running. I just I started just kind of walking up casually, and so 
it was pretty good. I mean, I, my for anybody that's running the race, I think my advice to you is just to expect mile or, or elevation 3,000 to 4,000, I think is the steepest part overall of the 1,000-foot elevation, believe it or not. So that is a that is a grind. And that comes up to the, the hairpin where you come into the, the four-mile four mile mark, is that right? Is that what that you're comes up to exactly. So the four mile mark at four thousand foot is around um, right above tree line where you start to see the Great Gulf, and then it kind of yeah. s turns into um, the higher elevation. And now they've got what used to be the dirt road section that brings you up to Nelson Crag that is now paved. And then you get around the hairpin turn up higher, and then I was about halfway up that stretch where I stopped. Yeah, and then. Um, as I was running, and then I just walked up the rest of the way, and it was fine. You know, yeah. I, I think I was doing pretty good pace, but I was kind of like, "All right, I can run for five and a half going uphill, so I'll be fine." Oh yeah, for the race. And then um, it was Alton Weagle Day, so we've talked about Alton Weagle Day, but basically Alton Weagle Day is one day of the year where the auto road allows for alternative ascents up the mountain. So typically, it's like people that are dressed up in unique costumes or they're doing a jump rope up the mountain or they're roller skating or whatever. But this year there was a group of about 20 young people that were going up the auto road in electric unicycles. (laughs) So these are um, probably up to your thigh height and you can kind of, they're unicycles, but they're electric and they go anywhere from like, I think about 20 to 30 miles an hour from what I could tell. And um, one guy made his way past me, and then I was like, wow, what is that? And then a bunch of them made it up, and they all stopped at, you know, overlooking the Great Gulf at around, I don't know, 6,000 feet or so. There's a little turnoff, so I made my way up there. I was talking to them. I was mansplaining, like, the presidential range to them because none of them had any clue about, like, what those other mountains were. (laughs) And then... You know, I was talking to them, so they all came up from like Boston, and they were doing it, and they found out about Alton Legal Day, so it was pretty cool. And then I left, and then I got some good video footage of them on the auto road um, that I posted on our Instagram account and stuff. So, yeah, were they wearing helmets on those unicycles? They were in helmets, and they had radios, so they could talk to each other. Interesting, huh? And I asked them, I was like, "Well, are you getting a ride down?" Ooh. And they said, "Nope." They've got brake systems on those and they're taking them down the hill too. No, thanks. No, thanks. No, thanks. So, Holy moly. Yeah. So most of them were on the electric unicycles, but there was a couple that had like the electric um, scooters. Sure. Yeah. And then there was a couple that had um, the one-wheel skateboards. So the the difference between the one-wheel skateboards is that, like, you've got one wheel and you're sort of, like, goofy-footed mm-hmm. on the skateboards, whereas the unicycles, you're forward-facing. Yeah, and leaning somewhat forward. Exactly. Yeah, so wow. you lean forward to move and lean back to brake. I wouldn't mind the skateboard version. That'd be neat. Yeah, yeah, and um, they made their way up. One guy actually had a large uh, remote control car that he was he was on the electric unicycle, and then he was controlling a remote control car in front of him as he was driving, just in case he bails out and has to go back down. I, well, I don't know. I don't know. It was a small remote control car, so it wouldn't have been able to. So, but so anyway, I make it up to the top. I was there too early. And the building wasn't open up, so I just had my breakfast and hung out. I got a picture of the on the on the um, the summit 
sign and all that. And then these guys were all up there by the time I got up there and they all made their way up to the observatory deck. Mm-hmm. And there was like 20 guys riding around on their electric unicycles on that decking part where they come out and do the weather readings and stuff. Right. Which was kind of funny. It was, you know, it was interesting. So a sight. Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting. But then I, I sat on one of the picnic tables and the guy that I saw at the, at the bottom, he had made his way up to the summit and I talked to him and I was like, oh, how was Tuckerman coming down? Because I had realized that I had forgotten to actually check the reports on whether Tuckerman was open or closed. So I was like, I'm just going to go down Lion's Head probably. But I was like, I'll just go down, scope out Tuckerman and see what it's like. Mm-hmm. So he told me, he's like, he had a hell of a time coming up Tuckerman's. He was like, it was super sketchy, didn't have spikes on him. And he was like, yeah, I don't know about going back down that way. So I was like, all right, well, I'll probably go Lion's Head. But I was like, I'll go to the lower portion just to scope it out to see maybe this guy was exaggerating. So um, big mistake on my part. So made my way down Crawford Path and then looped back, went over to Tuckerman's Cutoff. And then instead of staying high, and going towards Lion's Head, I went down towards the junction of Tuckerman. And then as I was getting there, the guy that I had talked to, he had made his way down. He was an ultra runner. Mm-hmm. Really cool guy from Italy. His name is Ermano. And we were talking and we were kind of looking at our situation. And I was like, well, I really don't feel like climbing up another 400 feet to get back up to the higher section to cut over to Lion's Head. Yeah. We were, we were faced with cutting across a large snowfield. So, um, we just basically kind of talked to each other and I was like, what do you think? And he was like, well, you know, I made it up, Tuckerman. And he's like, it was super sketchy. And oh, I was boy. like, why don't we make our way across, <laughs> make our way across. I didn't have spikes with me. I didn't bring them. Cause I was like, I'm not going to need them. Mm-hmm. So we made our way across one snowfield. Then we were able to go down in between the two snowfields. And then we cut down the lower portion of the second snowfield and then got to the lower portion of um, the junction of Tuckerman's. And I think it's whatever that trail is that gets you to Lion's Head on the lower section of the bowl. And then we made our way over to Lion's Head from there. But it was a little sketchy. Romano was showing me as as we went over to Lion's Head, we stopped and he showed me the route that he went up Tuckerman's. I mean, Tuckerman's is closed. Like there's no no safe way to get up there without spikes, but he did make it up. And uh, he was showing me that he went way left of the waterfall and then had to cut over. So he was using like some of the ski trails to get up. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. That's crazy. Did you see anybody, any was, is there enough snow to ski or no? There was. So when we got to lion's head, um, we went down and then, a uh, bunch of people coming up, like so many people going up Lion's Head. People mm-hmm. like, how how far, how much farther is it to the summit? And I was like, whoa, dude, you're like way far away. Um, but then when we got to Tuckerman, there was must have been probably like 50 to 100 people hiking up that we passed that were bringing um, skis and snowboards. Oh my God, it's still, yeah. it's still cranking, huh? Yeah, I mean, I don't understand how, it just doesn't seem fun to me. Like you're hiking up and skiing down for five seconds and then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is interesting. Crazy culture. Is the um, snow bridge there? Must be. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't get, um, I didn't get down there, but I, everything's covered in snow. So I think it's gonna be another couple of weeks. Wow. Fascinating. Yeah. I mean, that's just, they get buried. Yeah. Yeah. But my friend Hermano now, he was fascinating. This guy, we got to get him on. He's done the Moab 240. 
Mm-hmm. He's done all kinds. He was talking about David Goggins, the ultra runner. He's done all kinds of ultra races. Yeah. Um, he was talking about how him and his friend got like picked off a mountain when they were 10 years old in Italy wow. because they needed a search and rescue. So it was a good story. So I'm gonna, wow. yeah, it's fine. I'm going to call him up. You'll love him. He, he Let's do some it. good stories. Yeah. yeah. Sounds great. Yep. So shout out to Ermano. I met a new friend, which was great. Cool. It was awesome having someone to hike down with. That's fantastic. Yeah. Sounds like a great time. Yep. Yeah. And then um, on Sunday, I went over to Redstone Quarry, mm-hmm. which is in North Conway. So this is a mountain biking and hiking area. And it is, um, I definitely highly recommend people check this place out. It is behind the Walmart in North Conway off of the, off of 16. And, um, it connects with a walking path that's paved that actually goes from the Walmart North Conway, follows North South road and takes you up to Mount Cranmore. So it's a paved walking trail or biking trail. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you skip the walking trail and you just go straight, it takes you into Redstone Quarry, which is where, um, they had previously basically turned all of the large granite, um, you know, it's, a, it's basically a granite processing place where they had these huge laves and they would take these big chunks of granite and spin them on the laves and they would make all the columns that they use for supporting. They have one column that's actually laying on the ground that was supposed to be used in like uh, Grand Central Station. You know, it's already polished and everything. It's super, super interesting. Wow. That's, a, that's nice. Yeah. yeah. I saw your pictures. They were pretty neat. Yeah, so there's abandoned buildings that you can go in. There's like all this old equipment of like uh, laves and like um, there's these things called derrick uh, cables, which are these large cables that you use to haul um, heavy items up and down the mountain. And then there's this quarry section that looks like it, it reminds me of like the, the movie set from the Goonies where the, the, the sunken ship is. Mm-hmm. It's like got like these large like derrick cables and poles stuck in it and um, it's got water covering it and it's got these large granite slabs that just go right into the water. It's super, it's, it's a fascinating place. Mm. Super cool. Yeah, we'll do next time I'm over there. Yep. So Redstone Quarry is um, highly recommended uh, and it's great for the kids. So if you have kids, there's no elevation. It's a flat hike. It's got like all these signs explaining the history around it. And um, it's a good way. I think we did about two, two and a half miles and the whole family went. I got my brother-in-law and his girlfriend and the kids and everybody. It was fun. Hmm. Cool. Slasher's Hiking Topic of the Week. And this uh, segment's brought to you by 48 Peaks Alzheimer's. Hike to fight Alzheimer's with 48 Peaks. Join over 450 hikers this summer as we hike New Hampshire's 4,000 footers or create your own hiking adventure from a 52 of the view to a Prezi Traverse or climb your favorite mountain. We'll be hosting our annual hiker celebration party at Reckless on June 10th. So make sure you register for 48 Peaks to join us. Go to alts.org right slash 48 Peaks for all the details. All right. Yeah. So, you know, listeners probably realize that we have not gotten to the notable hikes for a couple episodes now and they just built up and we just had this idea hey why don't we make a segment out of it and 
take a uh, four corners approach to New Hampshire and see where people are going and uh, check out some of these cool hikes. Uh, so we're going to give you a couple little tips and pointers and trailheads and all kinds of stuff. Some of them we weren't really aware of, so we may have to skip a few. So if you if you didn't make the list, don't be offended. We just had no clue where it was and everything else, or there was just insufficient information. Yeah, well, we'll call those. So there's three hikes that we were kind of like, yeah, we haven't done those. We can't really speak intelligently about them. So we'll call those out at the end and then promise to do a little bit of homework and, you know, I feel like we've both been around a lot of areas of the whites, but like it, it just goes to show you that you, you know, you can't cover every area. So yeah, for sure. So number one, we have a submission by Liz Fay, and uh, Mike. I think you've been up this more than I have. Um, I've traversed this region, but I have not done this trail. And this is the Carter Ledge Trail to Middle Sister. Ah. Yes. So I have done this hike, um, I think three times, maybe two times. So I would say that this is probably one of the best trails in the whites. And the reason I like it so much is that it has, um, just a lot of open ledges. It's got probably like a mile and a half of sort of open ledges. And a lot of it, you look down into the, um, you know, the Piper trail sort of Valley area there, um, for Chikora. And then you can also look straight up into, you know, the White Mountains and see Mount Washington and everything. And then it's got, uh, it's got some scary ledges too. So it's got everything that you want. Um, as far as the trailhead goes, you can, you can hit this in two, di- two directions. You can either park at the White Ledge Campground, which is a campground off of Route 16 in Tamworth. It's, uh, if you're heading north, it's on the left-hand side. It's past the Piper Trail. Um, and there's probably about six or eight parking spots for hikers there. So it is a little bit tight. There's a, it's a campground. It's great if you're going to stay there overnight, but for day hikers, there's probably like six or eight spots. So you do want to get there early or midweek or something like that. And, um, that section is pretty much open forest as you start. And then eventually you'll, you'll connect with, um, you know, you'll, you'll connect with the trail and it's a nice option because it allows you to, um, to do it as a loop trail, if you want, so you can um, go up Carter Ledge and then come down Middle Sister Trail, which is a fun loop. Mm. Um, so, and then the other direction that you can get to Carter Ledge is you can park at the Piper Trailhead and then make your way up the Piper Trail and then eventually um, just take a right at the, um, I think the second trail junction and that will get you to um, the lower portion of, I believe it's, I think that's the lowest portion of Carter Ledge. Let me just double check that. Oh no, actually it's Nickerson Ledge. So you just turn off into Nickerson Ledge and then that will bring you to, um, Carter Ledge trail from there. And then this is a, this is a terrifying 25 trail and then it takes you to a 52 with a view. So there's a couple of lists that you can, uh, you can do. And in my opinion, like I've done, um, I've done this hike going up Carter Ledge to Middle Sister and then over to Chikora and then back down Middle Sister Trail as a loop to come out of White Ledge. And then I've done from Piper, I've done like a big loop where I've cut over to Carter Ledge, gone up to Middle Sister over to Mount Chikora and then back down Piper Trail as a big loop. So take your pick. Uh, let's see. Number two, this is submitted by one with the speed and this is a beautiful loop called Mount Matha, AKA Cherry Mountain and Owl's Head. It's not the 
Permijawasset Owl's Head. It's a different one. This uh, this hike is out by Jefferson, if I remember correctly. So this is a nice one, Mike. You've done this with me and Navi. Uh, it's roughly a 6.4 mile out and back loop. Uh, it's not so much a loop. You've got a little bit of a road walk there. And um, you can either start by ascending up to Cherry Mount Martha or from the northern end and go up Owl's Head itself. But um, this, this hike is really neat. It's well known for its really expansive views of the presidential range uh, from the summits. And uh, Owl's Head in particular is beautiful. The gain is 2,480 feet. So, you know, that's that's pretty modest, but don't be fooled. It's a moderate to difficult hike. It's just very steep uh, from either approach, whether you're going up Mount Martha or Owl's Head. Be aware of that. Uh, there are some notable things you can do. You can check out the um, Cherry Mountain Slide, I, th- I believe it's called. Is that the, yeah, mm-hmm. the Cherry Mountain Slide. Yep. There's, there's a historical marker for that. And it's also uh, a connection for the Coas Trail. So there's a lot of cool things you can check out there. Yeah, this is a good hike too if you're like just getting back into it and you want to get back in, you know, get your hiking legs going. So the trailhead is off of 115. So basically it's like go to Twin Mountain and then instead of taking a right and heading over to um, like Zealand Road and Britain Woods and Sugarloaf and that whole area, just go straight on Route 3 like you are going into Jefferson and then you actually just take a right on Route 115. And then the, the trailhead's on the right-hand side, Cherry Mountain Trailhead. And then this is a, you can, if you have a car spot, it's it's good. You can drop a car off at the Owl's Head Trailhead, which is probably about two, three miles down the road. Or if you want to do an out and back, just leave it at Cherry Mountain Trailhead. And then you go up, um, you'll get to the trail junction, take a left, and you can, you can hike to Mount Martha and then head over to Owl's Head and you know this place has amazing views this is where I think the original settlers um, had bypassed the White Mountains they had come in from the north and this is where they got high elevation ground and they saw into the notch and realized that there was a way to pass through so this is you know there's a lot of history on this this area this was where you know the the settlers really figure out like okay this is where I need to point in order to get to that notch to get through Crawford Notch mm-hmm. oh it's beautiful it's such yeah. a great area. Yeah. Awesome foliage hike too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot of hardwoods down there. It's, it's actually really funny. That is, you know, the, the view you're looking down into the valley. That's a lot of uh, area that we cover with the snowmobiling during the winter. And it's just absolutely beautiful in there. It's a very cool spot. So what's next? We got Mount Washington stop. Yeah. Yeah. Back to the old big guy. So we have Mount Washington via Ammo and Jewel Trail Loop. And this was submitted by Sharpen the Sword. So I, I, I considered this one to be one of the more popular routes uh, up and down Mount Washington. So the Amanusik Ravine Trail is accessed off of the Cog Road or the uh, Access Road, which you would take from Fabian's off of Route 302. And the trailhead is down... Pretty much six miles down just before the Cog Railroad on the right. And you can park there and take a little connected trail. And then it starts to ascend up to Lake of the Clouds Hut and Mount uh, Monroe. And then you would hit the summit if you wanted to or just head back over to Jewel Trail and head back down. But it's just a beautiful classic up here in the Whites. 
Yeah, yeah, it's a great trail. And I would say I get a lot of questions from people about like what's the deal with parking at the uh, Cog Railroad Station versus uh, the Amanusic Ravine Trailhead. So when you get there, if you've never been there, um, there is, as you get to the end of the road, before you get to the Cog Railroad, on the right-hand side, there is the Amanusic Ravine Trailhead. Um, and you can park there, and basically the, the Jewel Trail connects um, along with the Amanusic Trail. So the Jewel Trail is um, on the across the street, and it, there's a little bit of a wooden bridge that uh, goes over the Franklin Brook area, which is can be can run hot sometimes. But you can take the Jewel Trail um, back to Amanusic Ravine Trailhead, and then obviously it connects to Amanusic Ravine. If you want to park at the uh, base station of the Cog, the benefit there is that you know you've got a little bit more sort of secure parking. And then you can go inside the base station to get food, use the bathroom, whatever you want. Um, you, there's a cutoff trail that does save you a little bit of distance. It's called the Amanusic Link Trail. So you can get that from the upper part. So you park in the lower parking lot. Then you go up to the upper parking lot where the base station is and there's food and bathrooms. You can take the Amanusic Link Trail and it saves you probably about a half a mile or so of, of hiking. And then you can... When you take the Jewel Trail back, you can come down and cut it off. So it saves you probably about a mile total if you decide to park at the Cog Railroad versus the Amanusic Ravine Trailhead. Maybe a little bit less, but you know, people prefer it. Sometimes they want to go to the bathroom or they want to get some food at the at the base station. It's convenient. Mm-hmm. So, but Amanusic is a steep trail. Uh, we get a lot of people that are inexperienced that make their way up there and find out that they're in over their head. It <laughs> does. Um, it does give you the chance to hang out at Lake of the Lakes of the Cloud Hut, <clears throat> and then you know if you if you feel if you're not feeling it by the time you get to the huts, the hut, then you can go back down Amanusic. I mean, it's it can it's pretty steep going down too, so you got to make a judgment, but. Well, that that's what happened with uh, me and Mrs. Stump one winter. We got to the top and it was really not safe to go back down ammo because the, the ice was so bad. We just didn't have the, the full crampons. We had spikes. Yep. So we ended up going straight around. And so just be aware of that. Make sure you can get back down what you're ascending. Yeah. Yeah. Just be be prepared and be in good shape if you take that. It's a long day. Yeah, and Jewel is interesting too. The biggest complaint I hear about that trail is that it's just poorly marked. It's marked, but the it is a bit uh, fishy here and there. You got to pay attention. Look out for the cairns and uh, make sure you're going the right direction at times, above tree line in particular. Yeah, yeah. Like people stay on the Gulf Side Trail by mistake. There's a right, there's like a um, 90 degree turn on the jewel jewel trail that people tend to miss quite a bit down in the lower sections and it is a bit of a death march at the bottom it goes on for a long time so right um, <laughs> just be prepared but that that's one of the it's it's plus and minuses it's like it's not super steep but it's long what do we have next so we have um, our friend Jakester had hiked uh, Eisenhower via Edmonds Path. One of my favorites. Eisenhower is awesome. You can't miss it. When you're looking at the Southern Presidentials, it's just this beautiful dome of granite. It's just so stunning. I love it. And uh, via Edmonds, that's a, that's a fantastic route. Um, I've done it a bunch with Mrs. Stomp. Um, you can access Edmonds from Mount Clinton Road. Um, that's probably the most popular route. 
if you want to have a longer trip, you can access it from, say, Jackson and head north, Mount Jackson, uh, make it a longer day for you. You could even head up Ammo and head south and access Eisenhower. So there are all kinds of different routes. It's a beautiful open face summit. At the top, there's a can that historically has had a massive issue with hornets. Um, and that's probably coming soon. So be aware. It's a big cairn at the top. You can <laughs> get on top of it, but just watch out for those stingers. Yeah, Stomp. And I've done this one a couple times. Mm-hmm. I've done Edmund's Path up to Eisenhower in Monroe, and I've done it a couple of different ways. But basically, like Mount Clinton Road is where you want to start. It's right by the Highland Center off of 302, um, a little bit before the Omni Hotel and Bretton Woods in that area. So the Highland Center. And you can do this, you can do an out and back, up and down Edmonds, which I think that's what Jake did. Matter of fact, Jake and Julie came over this weekend and had a beer with me because they were up north. Nice. So he was telling me a little bit about this hike, but I can't remember. I think he did an out and back. Um, but you can, I've done this as a loop where I parked at Crawford Path Trailhead, where you start for, on uh, to go up to Mount Pierce. Mm-hmm. And then I walked down Mount Clinton Road. I think it's about a two mile road walk. And then you make your way up to Edmonds Path, and then you can loop around, hike Pierce, and then come back down. Um, if you do an out and back on Edmonds Path, which I've done before to do Mount Monroe, which is a fun hike, uh, it's you know it's it's not too bad coming down. There's a there's a couple of super steep sections on Edmonds Path. The trickiest part about Edmonds Path right now, what Jake was telling me, is at like the 4400 mark. Once you start crossing the um, the flat section to get around the backside of the mountain, it it does tend to like it leans into the ravine, so mm-hmm. it's not a flat trail. And because it doesn't get a lot of sun, there's still a lot of snow and monorail on that section. Yeah. So he was a little sketched out, if I recall correctly, because he was sort of getting pushed down into the ravine a little bit. Wow, interesting. Huh. Yeah, so it's not fully melted up there yet, but yeah, overall good good hike, good times. Let's see. Number, f- are we only on five? Wow, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> We're deep diving these babies. Yes. So this was submitted from What Donna Hamilton Photographed, and it's a moat traverse. So I'm going to let you take this one. You've done this a bunch. I have not. I've seen them, and they're definitely impressive. Yep. Yeah. So the moat, so you haven't done the moat stomp? I have not. It's on our uh, bucket list. We got to get you up there. So yeah, so you can do the moats from you know either you know north, south, south, north. I've done it from uh, the south to the north. So start on uh, Mount or on Passa Conway Road, which is off of West Side Road in North Conway. So mm-hmm. basically, take Route 16 through Center Conway, take a left on West Side Road, and then a left on to Passa Conway, and then you get to the south South Moat Trailhead. Uh, from there, you would go up. It's a pretty gradual hike up to South Moat. It's pretty open forest area, beautiful area uh, to hike in. Uh, you you make your way up to the lower ledges of South Moat and then eventually above treeline to uh, South Moat Summit. And then from there, you're above treeline, you know, you're in and out, but you're mostly above treeline for probably a good three mile section, three mm-hmm. and a half mile section from south to north. Um, there's a bunch of ledges in the middle moat as well. Um, you can look down into 
the North Conway area into that valley. You can look across to Kearsarge North and the Green Green Hills. You can look behind you um, and you see out to the Sandwich Range. You can see the entirety of the Sandwich Range. Yeah. It's basically parallel with the Sandwich Range the whole way across. Amazing. Yeah. And then you dip into the trees a little bit going across from middle to north. And then when you get onto the north summit, I would say that's one of the summits where it's got like the most, one of the most complete views of the White Mountains anywhere. It's very similar to Carrigan where you can see almost the entirety of the whites and you can, it's a straight shot up to like Mount Washington and the presidentials. Yeah. More like a Southern presidential view. Would you say? Uh, yeah, I would say so. Yeah, but yeah. you can see into the car. You can see uh, the Carters and, and Wildcat and all that too. Mm-hmm. And then you know you make your way down. It's you can make your way down a couple of ways. You can go down what's called Red Ridge Trail, which takes you into um, you know eventually connects you into sort of the Diana's Bath area. Or most people will go all the way down the North Moat Trail to connect to uh, Diana's Bath. And if you took a left, you could keep going up into Atitash and over to Table Mountain and Beer Notch. But mm-hmm. most people will just get, go out um, Diana's Bath. So I think it's about a nine-mile hike total with a fair amount of elevation gain and a you know, beautiful hike. But you need, a, you need a car spot or some arrangement with somebody to pick you up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. One of these days I'll get up there. Yes, you will. All right, uh, moving on. So Dave Shits in the Woods donated a submission here. And there's a lot going on here. So we'll see what we can do with this one. But we have mega bald face loop over two days. So um, did Mount Meter, Eagle Crag, the bald faces, then Sable, uh, Chandler, Eastman, and then Mount Tremont and Cave Mountain. That might have been a secondary trip. But um, I think the big highlight here is definitely the bald face loop. We've talked about this before. Um, Mike, you've done this recently. I've done this quite a long time ago. A number of times, this is where I always run into naked hikers. That's an interesting tip. It's a long loop. It's a 9.9 mile loop, but you know, the traverses over these two peaks, which are roughly 3,500 feet and 3,600 feet, um, is just stunning. It's just a lot of open ledges, those grand vistas, the views towards the Prezies are amazing. Um, location wise, this is right on the border of Maine and New Hampshire near North Conway. And, uh, Mike, you might know this one better than I, what is it? Route 113. Yeah, it's Route 113. Matter of fact, you got to go out of North Conway up into Freiburg mm-hmm. and then uh, make your way into uh, Evans Notch uh, to, so you connect with 113. Yeah. And um, the trailhead is before the gate on, uh, on Evans Notch before you actually enter it. Okay. Yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful trail. The um, The ascent up to North Baldface reminds me of some of the ascents up to, say, the Southern Presidentials. Uh, it's absolutely beautiful. Of note, there's a beautiful gem pool at the bottom called Emerald Pool, and that's literally a, uh, just a few tenths of a mile off of the, uh, the trailhead um, as you start to ascend up to North Baldface, and that's really worth checking out. Yeah, yeah. And it looks like what he did is he did the bald face loop and he added meter and eagle crag. And then from the way I'm reading this, he did a second hike that tagged Sable, Chandler, and Eastman. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think Sable and Chandler must be bushwhacks because there's no trail systems to get to those stomps. So you may you may want to ping him to find out more about those because those may be on your like 500 highest list. I'm not sure. Yeah, we'll do. Yeah. 
then he talked about, uh, so he was busy up there. So he also did uh, Mount Tremont, which is off of 302 right outside of Bartlett. So it's right on the main road uh, before you get up to like Ripley Falls and Arethusa Falls and Frankenstein Cliffs and all that stuff. So yeah, um, Tremont is a beast of a hike. It's like, I think you start at 800 feet of elevation and then you go up to like, I don't know, 3,000 feet or something. So it's it's mm-hmm. almost like you gain 100 feet for every 10, you gain a thousand feet for every mile you hike. So it's like a, that's a good one. It's, it's a grind. <laughs> Absolutely. And a beast of a hike. Yeah. Not super long, but great views. And then cave mountain is on the other side of Tremont. So he went back into Bartlett center, took a left, went over the, the Saco and then uh, cave mountain is at the Mount Langdon trailhead stomp. When, when we hike Mount Parker. Gotcha. Yep. It's, it's that trail, but at the very beginning of the trailhead on Mount Langdon Trail, you take a left, and then that takes you up into Cave Mountain, which is a series of caves that are on a steep climb up, um, and then you can go in and explore the caves, and then I think you can reconnect with Mount Langdon Trail somehow. Mm. So it's a good hike for the kids. Yeah, yeah. Well, Dave's crushing it in this He's region. doing so much shitting in the woods. It's crazy. <laughs> you got to watch out. You yes. watch your step. Seriously. Um, all right. And then this next one here is um, Patrick Smart, 603. He did Diana's Bath and then over to Red Ridge Trail, which I just talked about. So this is an yeah. alternative way to get up to North Moat, which Correct. is a great hike. Yep. Yeah. And Dan- Diana's Baths, <clears throat> that's a nice little area. Super crowded generally. Very crowded. Um, my tip, if you go to Diana's Bath, I would say go go early or late. And then the other thing I would say is uh, you'll see the crowd in the very beginning sections. Head up the trail a little ways and get up towards the top section and it's a little less busy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, next up here, so Jakester sent in another one. So him and Julie, they, matter of fact, they told me about this hike over a beer and they showed me some pictures. So they hike Mountain Pond, which is up near where they live in Intervale and Jackson. And this is like a loop trail. So it's easy flat and it's got views of the double head. So it's a, it's an easy sort of um, trail right in that, that area there. So I'll link the details on how to get there in the show notes. Okay. Sounds good. Um, next up, Gingerbeard Keen. So our friend Mike, he hiked Mount Cannon. Did he say the route that he took stop? I believe it. Actually, now that I think about it, it might've been KRT, Kinsman Ridge Trail. Okay. Yeah. So what's your take on Cannon? Cannon's interesting. There's no easy way up. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, Unless no, now in. I've hiked Cannon a couple times. I mean, I really like it. I've only ever gone up um, high Cannon and then down Kinsman, Kinsman Ridge. So I like it. I love those lower cliffs mm. um, and the views there. So um, yeah, I got to get Caroline up to Kinsman's and Cannon at some point. So I may try to do like a big hike across the whole ridge. Oh yeah, there are so many options, but again, there, Cannon is four thousand one hundred or no two thousand eighty feet. If I can read that, I wish I had higher magnification of my glasses. But you have the Kinsman Ridge Trail, which is literally thirteen mile long trail that heads over to Lost River. Um, that's your first way up from the Cannon Tram parking lot. You have High Cannon, which Mike mentioned as well, which starts at the Lafayette Campground. And then you can also do the Lonesome Lake Trail, uh, which passes Lonesome Lake and then ascends up to a junction, which you can head southwest 
over the cannonballs towards the Kinsmans or head up Kinsman Ridge Trail as well from the south. But that approach is probably the, the gnarliest, <laughs> the steepest in bouldery. So pick your path cautiously. Um, honestly, of those three, if you're a newish hiker, uh, Kinsman Ridge Trail from the Cannon Tram parking lot's probably the best bet. But again, it's pretty gnarly stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's a fun hike though. Yeah, um, it is. So stop. Next up, so this is my uh, my daughter's boyfriend Devin put in a, uh, a notable hike that I was on. So oh, uh, we went okay. and hiked. I took my whole family on Burton Meadow for uh, Saturday. So I did Mount Washington on no. I'm sorry. I did Mount Washington on Saturday. Then I did Burnt Meadow with the family on Sunday. Then I did did um, Redstone Quarry on Monday. So I apologize for that. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, Devin and my daughter and um, my brother-in-law and his girlfriend and her, her son, Brendan, and then my nieces, Maddie and Maeve, um, all went on a hike up to Burnt Meadow, which is in Brownfield, Maine, right near our father, my father-in-law's house. And uh, we went up to the lower ledge to get the views. My brother-in-law and my youngest niece tapped out early on. They had had enough hiking. And then um, we didn't make it all the way up to the summit because my younger niece was kind of done and my my brother's girlfriend was kind of done at that point. But we got got everyone out there and got a little taste of the hike and we turned around before it got to the point where people were miserable. <laughs> Great. Yeah. <laughs> too funny yep so that was good and then mm-hmm. uh next up we've got um who sent this one in stop was a shandy that did crawford resolution parker and stairs um i don't know that's a good question you know okay. yeah I well know that some, whoever shandy. did that nice job yeah yeah so that's a beast <laughs> of a hike so i mean adding parker to that is um <laughs> yeah that's a beast of a hike but uh yeah so that is off the trailhead of 302 davis path you make your way up to Crawford and then um, come back down Crawford, hit resolution, and then up to stairs. And then I think, well, maybe what they did is they probably did Crawford, then stairs, and then came over to Res- resolution and then hiked to Parker and then back out. But um, hmm. yeah, that's a that's a great area there in the Montalban range. Yeah, that's that's really neat. Yep. Um, know, and a couple then, more couple more. So uh, LB Boyd, I'm going to give this one as a notable hike of the week because she finished her 52 with a view list on this one. So she's going to be the winner. And she went out and did Mount Success for the completion of her 52 with a view list. So mm-hmm. um, getting out there that this time of the year is impressive. I'm sure it was a mud fest, but um, congratulations for finishing. Yeah. Excellent. And then yep. last but not go least... Up. What's that? Yeah, and just a little bit before we go to this, to get to Mount Success as a reminder, you got to go up through Berlin, then you got to go um, Success Pond Road, mm-hmm. and make your way up a couple of miles up there, and then park, and then hike your way up. So it's a huge project to get out there. So it, congratulations. It's yeah, yeah, it's an effort. Yeah. The views are unbelievable. They totally pay unbelievable. off. Unbelievable up there, so... Much like they do at Willard. Uh, so the last one here is Nick hikes and plays guitar. This this just came in yesterday, and uh, he did Mount Willard. And Willard's awesome. It's um, in Crawford Notch, uh, right on 302. Uh, 3.2 miles uh, round trip, I believe, and 2,800 uh, foot elevation. So it's averaged about three to four hour um, round trip. 
you can zip it. It's, it's not too difficult, really. Um, it's moderate difficulty if, if that, but it opens up to an incredible view of Crawford Notch. You've got the Willie Cliffs and it's just awesome. Great, great spot for the fall too. Excellent. Yeah. So we got um, a lot of great hikes here. So Nick hikes and plays guitar, did Willard. And um, that wraps it up. There were three other hikes stomp though, that we bailed on because we didn't, we've never done those. So mm. um, one with speed did a bushwhack over the back of Saddleback Mountain in Northwood. Um, and I don't think I'm familiar with that one. Liz Faye did a three-day AT section hike ledgered link to Trapper John Shelter, which I, I I didn't do my homework on that one. I'm, I'm suspecting I've been on sections of that, but maybe not all of it. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Miss Vaughn Jazz Hands, I'm doing my Jazz Hands signal here, <laughs> did the Rhode Island North-South Trail that we're not familiar with. So uh, yeah. keep them coming. Keep loading up the notable hikes um, just at slasherpodcast.com or hashtag slasherpodcast and then... Um, notable hikes. Yep. Thank you very much, everybody. So Mount Washington Observatory, Seek the Peak, returns this summer with the classic Mount Washington Hikeathon. This annual gathering of New Hampshire's hiking community is the nonprofit Mount Washington Observatory's largest annual fundraiser. Hikers raise funds, earn gear, and celebrate at our APRE hike party on Saturday, July 15th with live music, food trucks, epic gear, raffle, beer garden, vendors, and people who care deeply about the trails and an inclusive hiking community. It all takes place at the base of the Mount Washington Auto Road. Our hike and make friends option supports all ability levels, pairing hikers with similar goals for a trek that's right for you. All hikers are welcome to help raise funds for the observatory's summit weather station and services like the twice-a-day Higher Summits forecast, educational programs, and research in the White Mountains. Seek the Peak is sponsored by Great Glen Trails and Eastern Mountain Sports. So learn more and register to hike at seekthepeak.org. Are you ready for Slasher's Gear Review? As part of the training for the Mount Washington Road Race, I um, actually was curious about how compression stockings would uh, impact my training. So I started using a pair of just um, uniform, not graduated compression stockings over the last two weeks. And it's been pretty interesting. So it got me thinking, I wonder if they uh, actually serve a purpose. Like, is there a real benefit to them? As people know, um, they're really common in bedbound patients in the medical field. They're used uh, generally to prevent DVTs, blood clots, things of that nature. But they're becoming more popular with the athletic community. And I think, like everything else, I'm a little bit behind the eight ball. Um, but do you use compression stockings for anything, Mike? I don't use them for um, stockings or anything. I've used them for uh, shorts mostly just for like triathlon stuff and, and training, uh, but nothing around like my uh, my legs or anything like that. I've had cramping issues and I've heard that they can help with that, but yeah. I just haven't done anything really with compression aside from just wearing the shorts for training for triathlons. So compression shorts. Yeah. What's, what's the idea behind that? Same concepts? Yeah, I think it's, I think for the most part, it is to um, 
sort of keep everything not moving around. So it's better than <laughs> just underwear. It's just sort of con- compression shorts okay. that we use for um, comfort too. It's more comfortable to uh, to use those. So I use the. Sometimes I wear them under shorts. And uh, yeah, but that's about it. So I haven't really done anything else besides that. I see people wearing compression tights for their forearms and their arms. And then I've seen them wearing them with the, you know, socks and legs and things like that. But I just haven't, other than that, I really don't know much about it. Yeah. Okay. Well, here's a couple little things. Uh, some of the brands you have Tommy Copper uh, and, you know, the, the metal infused brands, let's just put that aside for now and uh, deal with that some other time. But um, you have Tommy, you have CEP, Sockwell, Zensa, Z-E-N-S-A-A, and uh, 2XU. Those are some of the more popular brands. Lengths, um, you know, generally you have ankle high, knee high, and I I believe it, that uh, thigh highs are becoming more popular for whatever reason. Um, How much compression so they range between 12 milligrams of mercury to 40. And the average that I found online was basically 15 to 25 for athletes and for workouts. Uh, and per some of the studies that I discovered. Now, when you look at the studies, there's not much out there, but there are some for certain areas uh, and concerns. So first thing is circulation. That's that's a no-brainer. So the idea is you're you're pooling blood. There may be some post-workout swelling in your legs. So compression stockings will aid in reducing the pooling and uh, swelling that may occur. That's pretty well studied and not in question at this point. Subsequent performance. There is a, a study, an Australian study, and uh, they found that if you wear them once, you may see a benefit in your performance during a second or subsequent workout. So that's pretty interesting. They have been found to lower lactate levels, lactic acid. Um, Everybody's familiar with that burn that you get in your muscles when you're working out. So that's just basically waste material, uh, waste products that your body's creating when you're exercising. So there is some data, and uh, one study in particular came out of the American Journal of Physical Medicine, and they showed that compression stockings did lower those lactate levels, uh, which led to a quicker recovery. Um. Injury prevention, this is sort of the tough one. Um, There is no real solid data out there in terms of stockings preventing injuries. Most of it does seem to be more anecdotal. You know, runners saying, yeah, you know, I have not had as many injuries. So that's not really solid data. Um, So I think that's an area that may need to be looked into a little bit uh, more deeply um, before they can really solidly make that claim. And I guess the idea is if there's a pool of fluid in your legs, um, that is going to possibly create a misstep or poor coordination um, and poor form when you're running or hiking or whatever you're doing. So I guess that's the general hypothesis that they're trying to look into when it comes to injury prevention. That makes sense. Hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, so are you, are you buying compression gear stomp based on this? I have two sets of, um, stockings that I'm using and I, I, I'll touch upon that, uh, when we get through the last few things here, I have noticed a few things for sure. Um, but they're not necessarily on this list. I'm noticing something a little bit different. 
So muscle soreness, heavily studied. This is not a question anymore. Compression garments do reduce muscle soreness and lead to quicker recovery. And then there's a psychological benefit. They did find that um, um, wearing these stockings does add to not so much a, a physiological benefit in terms of injury prevention and things like that, but there is a psychological benefit that has been studied to some degree. And that came out of uh, the Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research in 2016. And I just wanted to thank uh, Sarah LaCour. She did provide some data behind the scenes. And if you're not familiar with Sarah, she is a strength trainer. She does all kinds of things, but she's um, super informative and if anybody's interested, you can look up S-L-A-C-O-U-R-S-E on Instagram. And then from there, she has a link tree. And uh, she's a strength coach, uh, sports nutrition coach, uh, all kinds of things. She does a million different things. So thank you, Sarah, for putting some input on this. So back to me. I have noticed um, perhaps... Quicker recovery time for sure. And there's a a term called proprioception as well, which we use in the the healthcare industry, which is just an awareness of your movement and your, uh, your position in space, I guess. And I've noticed that I've ran better. My form is better. I'm more aware of how my feet are landing um, because there's that constant pressure on your feet and your ankles. So, Mm -hmm. so I think in a proprioceptive sense, uh, they're beneficial. But again, it's just anecdotal. I think it's um, this variability for everybody. Interesting. So, yeah, I think at the end of the day, even if you've got some psychological benefit out of it, it's probably worth it. Um, yeah, for sure. You know, I think where I would shy away from it is in, you know, heat situations. If it was super hot, I don't know how comfortable it would be to That's uh, been to tough. Those. Yeah, no question. They're not comfortable in that sense. In this weather, it's been tough. But I think you can get around that with certain brands. Interesting. Well, yeah. I can't wait to check out your tights at the Mount Washington Road Race Stomp. Yeah, well, they're black. I'm definitely going to wear them. Um, I'm definitely not going to go with the white ones. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> we appreciate that. So, Thank you, Sarah, for giving us some additional information on this stuff. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Excellent. Um, so, all right, maybe I'll have to get some stomp. I'll get like uh, one leg so I can look fancy. Like I know the track, I've noticed that like the the high level track runners will wear the compression leggings. And mm-hmm. then I've also noticed that a lot of NBA players will wear leggings as well now. Yeah, for sure. Well, you could do a placebo. You can wear one on one and then have the other leg be the placebo and you can just see what happens. True. Imagine if I, if I start running in circles, like because one leg is so much more powerful than the other. You're right. Slow down, leg. <laughs> All right. So, Stomp, we got some search and rescue news here. So, we're going to go with a national story here. Um, Hiker dies in Grand Canyon trekking from rim to river and back in a day. So this happened on the Bright Angel Trail, which is the main trail. So think of this as if you've never gone to the Grand Canyon, essentially like the Bright Angel Trail would be the equivalent of like 
Franconia Ridge or um, Tuckerman Ravine for us. It's like where everybody starts off mm-hmm. and then um, you can branch off into some other trails, but essentially Bright Angel Trail is where people go. If you're going to do a um, rim to river and then back up, you're talking like a lot of elevation drop and then you've got to get out to the river. The problem with this is that in if it's a hot day, by the time you get to like nine in the morning, it starts getting ridiculously hot. You know, right. you think heat rises, but the heat actually sits down in that that valley. And um, it's just a dangerous hike if you don't manage your food and drink correctly. So it looks like this is a 36-year-old woman from Westfield, Indiana. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, she's dealing with excessive heat. And park rangers noted that visitors must be prepared if they decide to hike at all. Temperatures on exposed portions of the Bright Angel Trail can get to 120 degrees Fahrenheit, even in the shade, of which there is little. Yeah, right. Yeah. So um, even just to get to Plateau Point, which looks over the river, it's it's 12 miles and 3,000 feet of elevation change. That's so a lot. Yeah. So it's it's a lot there. So I guess they're still investigating the the cause of death mm-hmm. and they don't have any further information. But, you know, if you're going to do, I mean, I know people that have done rim to rim and back and rim to river in a day. So it can be done. It's just not something like, even I, when I was out there stomp, like I was hiking all over Sedona and I had these grand plans where I was going to be like, oh, I'm going to do this eight mile hike or I'm going to do this seven mile hike. And I was hiking 15, 20 miles in the whites, no problem. When you get into that heat in the desert, mm. when there's no shade, exactly. it's a completely different scenario. Like the mileage that you you can do in New England in in the shade, mm-hmm. in the cooler weather, even in humid conditions, is completely different than what what goes on out west. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Crazy. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so, um, wow. and then you. You put together some stats on the Bright Angel Trail. Yeah, just so. mileage and elevation and things like that. But they do get into water safety and just making a, a smart plan for your, your day, checking the weather, packing properly, hyponatremia, you know, losing sodium in your uh, body. And uh, there's some good stuff in here. So, yeah, yeah, I'll put this in the, the show notes. And it's, um, you know, it's 12 miles round trip. To mm-hmm. Plateau Point, and then to get to, um, you know, the the water situation. You got water at mile and a half and three mile rest houses, right. and then also at um, at uh, Havasupia Garden as well. But it is um, it's a it's a challenging hike. I mean, the Grand Canyon's fantastic, but I highly recommend if you're going to do it, try to get something going um, on an overnight. Yeah, it's probably a good idea for sure. All right, Stomp. So next up, we've got uh, Memorial Day was a mess. <laughs> sure was. Here in, uh, yep. here in New Hampshire. And, uh, oh, crap. my We got hit hard. We got hit. Can you pull up this article? Because I am getting blocked on my... Um, oh, sure. Let me see what we have. Paywall. You're going to have to read it. Yeah, I mean, this is off the New Hampshire Union Leader, and this article is basically a summary, and there's everything in here from rollovers of ATVs and all kinds of things. Um, But of note, there were a couple of climbing incidents that are really pretty interesting. Um, 
Let me get to the area here. Yeah. Well, yeah. Oh my goodness. It was a gunshot wound too. Non uh, life threatening. But, um, yeah. So we have a 25 year old from Cambridge, Massachusetts and, um, conservation officers around 7.30 p.m. were contacted that there was an injured climber in the area of Sundown Ledge in Albany. So this individual fell while rock climbing with a group of friends. Witnesses reported that Han, the 25-year-old, fell 20 feet when he fell, suffering serious injuries to both lower extremities. When rescuers arrived, they stabilized Han and transported him by rescue litter to Memorial Hospital in North Conway. And then, before 7 p.m., another climber had an injury on Cathedral Ledge. Check this one out. The climber, identified as Matthew Allen, 24, of New York City, was climbing with Peter Kittredge, 24, of Wittensville, Mass., when he fell nearly 50 feet and, uh, suffered serious but non-life-threatening injuries due to the fall, and he was um, transported to Memorial Hospital. There were reports elsewhere with more details, and apparently these were bolt failures. One was an anchor failure, and I believe the second one with the 50-foot fall was a bolt failure, which... I guess it's fairly uncommon because you're talking about the bolts that are permanent in there. They're just, you know, screwed in or however they do it, as opposed to the anchors that are put in as you're climbing, as you're lead climbing. So strange, a bolt failure. Um, I hope to find out some more information about that over time because you don't hear about that too often. No, no, you don't. I mean, you interesting. Would think that you would keep your equipment. Mean, I don't know. Is it a matter of keeping your equipment up to date or is it just dumb luck? Or is it placement of where you put the bolt? I wouldn't even want to guess. I'm not a climber. I'm not about to speculate about that. I mean, when you're climbing with your own personal anchors, you have to put them in to whatever nook or crevice that's available. So I I suppose there's a a percentage of that that could be your decision and how you put it in and whatever else. I'm... I'm sure that the uh, the failure of uh, an anchor itself is prob- probably pretty rare. I'm sure it's more a matter of how it's placed and where it's placed. I don't know. Not really yeah. sure. We need to get a climber in here that knows his stuff. Yes, yeah. exactly. And then last but Any- not least here, we have um, another one on Middle Mountain Trail. There was a 64-year-old of Chatham and uh, was hiking by himself and shortly after summiting Middle Mountain Trail, he sustained an injury and called for assistance. So conservation officers determined he needed an assist and not a full carry out. So no litter there, but an assist. So they're just giving him a gentle arm for support, which is nice. So Fargo was able to walk out of the trail approximately at 3.50 p.m. So super busy Memorial Day weekend. Excellent. And then last but not least, Stomp, we have an injured hiker on Mount Chikora. So this happened on Monday. Um, shortly before 8 p.m., Fishing Game was notified that a hiker was injured on the Weedemo Trail. So we talked about <coughs> Mount Chikora recently and the whole history around Weedemo Trail. Mm-hmm. So this hiker was an 18-year-old out of Pembroke, Massachusetts. She was hiking with two friends when she severely injured her ankle while descending the trail. 
Uh, the, the hiker attempted to bear weight on her injured ankle but was unable to do so. So the group correctly called 911 and it was about a two-mile hike from the trailhead. So conservation officers, Conway Fire and Rescue, Tamworth Fire, Madison Fire, West Ossipee Fire, Effingham, and Wolfboro Fire Departments responded along with members of Lake Region Search and Rescue. Um, the young lady was treated, placed in a litter, and carried out, and she arrived back at the trailhead shortly before 12 a.m. and was driven from the scene by her friends to seek medical attention. So, wow. um, you know, no comment on preparedness. Sounds like she was prepared. Mm-hmm. I always tell people to bring a splint as part of your 11 essentials and you never know. I mean, it's uh, tough to tell whether or not this might've been fixed with a splint and she would have made her way out or not, but you never know. It's worth never taking know. one. Yeah. Yep. So all in all, we made it through the busiest weekend, right? Not too bad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we did. <laughs> and then um, we, do we have any teasers for guests coming up stop that you want to tell the audience? Hmm. Nothing confirmed, but I think we may be having a chat with, Author Ken Bossy, remember he came in and he was hilarious. Yes. Well, apparently he wrote another book and it's uh, looking to be as funny as the earlier one. So he also talks to some of the search and rescue teams and fishing game as well for some cool information. And then um, let's see who else. Gwen Stratton. I'm yep. really really looking forward to having a chat with her. She's so accomplished and she's um, uh, crushing it up here. Like she's just a hiker climber trail runner so that's going to be a really great chat excellent so um we are going to call this show a wrap stomp enjoy your uh djing duties at the mount Shakura race this weekend and <laughs> okay. um i'll be out hopefully uh on the kinsman's and that area there to to do some hiking and if you're around there t- keep an eye out for me saturday or sunday and oh, otherwise nice. we'll, we'll see you next week all righty later Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the topics covered in today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information at slasherpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until then, on behalf of Mike and Stump, get out there and crush some mega peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. Fishing game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots, and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words to describe this race. Do we all know what they are? Lieutenant James Neeland of New Hampshire Fish and Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? It seems to me the most common is being unprepared. And I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all.